0: From The Nation magazine, this is Start Making Sense, political talk without the boring parts. I'm John Weiner. Today we'll talk about investigating Russian hacking of the election and the collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians in undermining Hillary and making Trump president. Joan Walsh will comment. And we'll also have an Ivanka Watch update. Amy Willens has the latest on Trump's number one daughter, now with a White House office and a security clearance. But first up, Chris Hayes with Trump Talk. Chris, of course, is the Emmy Award-winning host of All In with Chris Hayes, weeknights on MSNBC, and author of the bestseller Twilight of the Elites. He's also an editor-at-large of The Nation, and he has a new book out this week. It's called A Colony in a Nation. Chris Hayes, welcome back. It's great to be here. Chris Hayes, we're talking the week after repeal and replace failed in the House, and we're trying to assess the damage, the opportunities, the yes. next steps, seems to me this is a disaster for Donald Trump. It's a disaster for the Republican Party. Is it
2: possible that I'm wrong about that? No, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, what an unbelievable failure. Just a colossal. I have never in my political reporting career seen something crash and burn quite like this. Talk about being exposed just, just the the sh- the, the sheer shame of, of 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 how embarrassing, how mortifyingly massive the failure is. To sixty votes for repeal, and you cannot get a vote in twenty two days of this piece of frankly garbage legislation that no one liked across the ideological spectrum. Seventeen percent, seventeen percent of Americans right, liked right, right. it. Um, so it's a colossal failure now. To, to take a slightly contrary note, they had backed themselves into a corner. And I actually think pulling the bill and moving on was the best thing for them to do politically and also the best thing for the country. So it's actually like in a weird way, it was like one of those rare moments in politics where it was like, this is good all around. <laughs> like it's actually good for the country. It's a huge win for the Democrats, but it's also the least ignominious thing mm-hmm. they can do. Because if they if they made people walk the plank out of the House and it dies in the Senate, you've just painted a target on everyone in the House that voted for it. If you actually pass and succeed in passing a thing, it's a terrible piece of legislation that will cause huge amounts of material harm and havoc to actual human beings, which will also be bad for you politically.
0: <laughs> when Trump refused to call this bill "Trump Care." I think he was right. Trump care was supposed to cover everybody. It was supposed to be something terrific, and it
2: was supposed to be better coverage and lower cost. So here's here here's my read on the politics of this, which I think is is important. You know, Paul Ryan's agenda was rejected by the voters in 2012. It was the Ryan Romney budget, and it was, it was his very sort of this specific kind of Washington think tank cut programs, social programs for the poor voucherized Medicare that he's been dreaming of doing forever, right? There were basically 16 people running for president on the Republican side who were basically in line with that agenda. And there was one who was not, who was Donald Trump, who said on his first day, we're not going to cut Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. He said Medicaid in that. Medicaid has existed for so long as this easily sort of racialized poverty, poverty program. It's not, but it certainly isn't in the era of Medicaid expansion. And so There was this fundamental mismatch between Donald Trump's entrepreneurship and political genius in that primary was to recognize not only was there no no core constituency support for Paul Ryanism in the electorate at large, there was none in the Republican base. Mm -hmm. They didn't want that agenda. Mm -hmm. The Republican base didn't want trade deals, voucherized Medicare. What they wanted was the the social welfare state for their people and a target drawn on the enemies of those people from – Immigrants to people making bad trade deals. That's what they wanted. And that was Donald Trump's genius was to give them that. Then he gets to Congress and all of a sudden it's like he is selling Ryanism. They all forgot that no one likes Ryanism. Literally no one. It is a, it is a ideology with no constituency. And now they're going to make the same mistake again. On the budget. Because they're going to they're go to tax reform. No one voted for Donald Trump to cut corporate taxes. And may I say, <laughs> Donald Trump has never endorsed
0: the heart of Paul Ryan's plan, the import tax. What do they call it? The border adjustment tax, right. the BAT. They say this will also stimulate domestic manufacturing. But the real reason is they need the money to, to balance the budget.
2: Well, and they also didn't, you know, it's so funny. You're hearing these people in the sort of <clears throat> GOP wonk circles saying, oh, man, it's a bummer we didn't get that repeal and replace because now the net tax cut is going to be lower. Yeah, because it was going to be a one. It was going to yeah. be two bites of the apple. It was going to be repeal all the taxes of Obamacare, which are almost entirely on the top two percent of household incomes. And then once you've done that, then go back with tax reform and and cut taxes for those people again. Now they're only going to get the one bite of the apple and the and the and the Obamacare taxes are going to stay. I don't think they're going to be able to, to, to futz with those in the tax reform. Again, if I am advising Donald Trump, I would just look him in the face every day and say, you, jobs and a wall. Like like okay. you, what pe- people voted for you to be, for you to bring back jobs and build a wall. Jobs and a wall. If I was advising him, no one voted for corporate tax reform. Yeah. But is Donald Trump going to
0: agree with Paul Ryan that taxing imports is the way to bring back well, jobs? Well, I don't
1: know if,
2: I, what, what is he, does he understand what it, first of all, the border adjustment tax or the versions are batting around are really complicated, okay? They're complicated for me to understand yes. and I do this professionally. Yes. They are complicated to model in terms of their incidence level. There's arguments to be made that essentially they very quickly converge to zero that people essentially find ways to game it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So it, it's it's a really... In like granular policy dispute about how the incidents of this group gonna work, yeah. how the cost will be passed along, yeah. there are versions of it that I think I even I as, like with my politics could get behind. Like there are kinds of ways to that one could implement it that maybe would have a, neg- a, a net positive effect. But who, do we think that's gonna happen now? <laughs> but also like, what is Donald the the in the room accounts of his negotiating on the health care bill was that the guy knew literally, and I mean literally nothing about this bill. He called it terrific. He said, cut it out with the the little shit.
0: The shit, yeah.
2: Yeah, Cut it out with the little shit. Let's focus on the big picture. When they're talking about like essential health benefits, which is not little (laughs) shit, okay? So if he can't negotiate that in a granular fashion, tax reform is more complicated, more difficult. So how is he going to negotiate that?
0: Yeah, and let's go back to Art of the Deal here. One of the fundamental principles of Art of the Deal... Is that your opponents should never see that you are desperate. Verdio. They should never see right. your weaknesses. He gave them an ultimatum: we got to have a vote on this, it's yes or no. There's no plan B. And his own party defied
2: him. Defied him and called his bluff that he was exposed on. Remember, the, the 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 message from the White House Thursday night into Friday morning was there will be a vote. Yeah. Because you're gonna you're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see who's loyal and who's not publicly. Which was an intimidation tactic and a bluff and they called the bluff and then what did he do? He pulled the bill. So now it's like why should you be scared of this guy? That goes for Democrats as well and particularly now when you talk about desperate, their first legislative agenda crashed and burned in a shockingly ignominious fashion. Now there's all the more pressure to get a win on taxes which means he, you've given away your leverage from a negotiating standpoint. Because what's he going to do, walk away from the other big thing they're now like moving on to? Let's talk about
0: where progressives stand at, at this moment. We have a president severely weakened. We have a Republican Party obviously divided.
2: The short-term political horizon is the 2018 midterms. And we have seen an, a level of investment from citizens in their congressional representation that is astonishing and welcomed. The town halls, the indivisible movement, people flooding the phone banks—it's worked. It will keep working. People need to keep doing it if they um, feel strongly. Um, and I say that across the of uh, the political divide, um, you should be talking to your members of Congress. So, so I think that, that you know, there's huge momentum there, in a broader sense about the agenda. I do think that like, proposing a proactive agenda. Um, particularly on healthcare, whether that's Medicare for all or a public option or um, fixing some of the ways that the Affordable Care Act really does is broken. Um, It's particularly rough on one thing I've learned from my reporting. Affordable Care Act is particularly rough on people that are in the individual non-group market but not subsidized. Yes. And the reason that it being rough on them matters is because these are relatively affluent people with relatively high levels of social capital who are getting hammered. I mean, people yes. are paying yes. astonishing amounts for astonishing little care. And if you're not getting the subsidy, you're paying out of pocket and you're like, what the hell is this? How did I end up in this situation? So there's ways, I think, to go about fixing that. More broadly, I think the I, I think the kind of Sanders vision has made a lot of ground in the party, um, just as a sort of descriptive matter. I mean, Elizabeth Warren said she was open to you know she supported single payer the other day, I think, and. Um, And I think that, you know, there is an ideological opportunity as Ryanism is rejected for the kind of sort of comprehensive universalist idea as opposed to like mean tested targeted things. I think it's one of the divisions in the Democratic Party in a policy perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that the the, I think the universalists have sort of the better case on the merits, but also on the politics. And I think you're going to see the party move in that direction.
0: One more thing. Russia. Some of our friends argue it's a mistake for the Democrats to focus on Russia. The base isn't interested in uh, Russian interference or Trump's collusion collusion with Russia. It's got to be jobs, yeah. healthcare, single payer.
2: Russia uh, is a mistake. Do you agree with that? No, I mean I think look, it, I, I think two slightly contradictory things. I think I think the Russia getting to the bottom of the Russia story is important. I don't know where we are in it, frankly. Like sometimes I go back and forth between. Is this Watergate or is this this Whitewater? (laughs) Like, is this, you know, it could be the biggest political scandal probably in the history of the country if the facts shake out in that direction. Or it could not be. It could be a, a sort of stunning bit of sabotage by a foreign adversary, which itself is deeply problematic and worrying for a lot of reasons. So I think getting to the bottom is important being aggressive about getting to the bottom of it and making sure that like there's an investigation that the FBI's independence can be protected in whatever way, all of that is really important. That said, I do think the people that say the politics of this aren't the most potent anti-Trump politics exist are correct about that. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue it. Like it's important to actually know on the merits, right? So like the sort of cynical description of like what the best tactic is, like particularly for me as a journalist, like I want to know the truth. I don't really care if it's the best, you know. That said, look at the the job approval numbers for Trump, whether it's in Gallup or the aggregated averages. There is an inflection point at March 6th when he starts heading down. He had been fairly stable around 42%, 43%, which is right around the percentage of the vote he got for the first part of his presidency. He goes down March 6th, which is when they introduce the health care bill. That was the most tangible political blow that he has taken, which is ordinary politics <laughs> like the, the everything about the health care bill was was extraordinary and how it was handled and how bad it was and all this stuff but it was also ordinary politics it wasn't a trump gaffe it wasn't a tweet it wasn't some weird gaslighting thing where he said something obviously manifestly untrue that he then told us we had to believe was true it was just a bad piece of legislation that would have done tangible harm to people's lives and was rejected by the public thanks to mobilization and democratic unity particularly also, right? They they couldn't peel anyone away from the very beginning. That's what has delivered him his biggest political defeat, and I think that will continue to be the case. Chris Hayes, thanks for talking with us today. Thank you.
0: Now it's time to talk about the Trump campaign's collusion with the Russians. For that, we turn to Joan Walsh. We see a lot of her on MSNBC, where she's a political analyst. She wrote the book, What's the Matter with White People? Finding Our Way in the Next America. And she's national affairs correspondent for The Nation. We reached her today in New York City. Joan, welcome back.
3: Thanks, John. Happy to be with you.
0: Well, Monday night, Trump tweeted, quote, Trump-Russia story is a hoax. And Tuesday at the press briefing, Sean Spicer said, quote, if the president puts Russian salad dressing on his salad tonight— that's called collusion. Uh, Collusion is what they say is a hoax. Apparently, they're not challenging the unanimous conclusion of the FBI, the CIA, and the NSA that Russian President Putin himself ordered a Russian campaign to interfere with the uh, presidential election with the goal of undermining Hillary Clinton and helping Trump win the election. What they are arguing is there's no evidence that the Trump campaign colluded with Russia to do this. What's your view on where we stand at this point?
3: I think, you know, the increasing lunacy from both the president and Sean Spicer, in fact, speaks to the heat rising. I think that we heard last week from FBI Director Comey that there is, in fact, an ongoing investigation into the possibility Of coordination, they use the word coordination, not collusion. Uh, There is ongoing investigation into the possibility of coordination between members of the Trump campaign team and the Russian government to undermine Hillary Clinton, and it's been going on since July. So I think as the the more the, the closer they get, the crazier the president will get. You know, we also saw last week, and it's shading into into this week. This bizarre, you know, subplot with House Intelligence Committee Chair uh, Devin Nunez, who went off to the White House and you know, all the details trickled out gradually but saw some evidence that showed that, there, that somebody was surveilling members of the Trump transition team and he had to go to the White House to tell the president, but then it turned out he went to the White House to see the, the documents that no one else has seen. Uh, and it's just unraveling by the hour. Uh, he's really kind of made a fool of himself because his his claims have changed and they're and they're so bizarre and the idea that he would go off on his own and do this He is the chair of the committee, but he also was a member of the Trump transition team. He should not be in his position. Let's start there. Paul Ryan should have stepped in a long time ago. But someone who is in his position should be treading really carefully and bringing along uh, his ranking member, Adam Schiff, who's been terrific, and keeping this bipartisan. You get a tip that there's some some evidence. Let's go see it, uh, Congressman Schiff. Get up from the dinner table. We're going to see it. But he wouldn't tell them what it was. He told the president first. He told the press first. And then he's canceled a set of hearings for this week. So he's looking like somebody who also thinks the heat is rising.
0: So you uh, wrote a piece recently uh, for thenation.com questioning whether Republicans can be trusted to oversee the FBI investigation of Trump's uh, Russia ties, but but haven't top Republicans talked about this very clearly and strongly? For instance, Senator Marco Rubio asked, "Can this country afford to have a president under investigation by the FBI?" And White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus took it further. He said having a president under investigation by the FBI, quote, should be disqualifying for anyone seeking the presidency. It's now been public sworn testimony by the director of the FBI that Trump is under investigation. Why do you question whether Republicans can be trusted, given their very strong statements of principle on this?
3: Uh, you're setting me up here because all of those comments were made about Hillary Clinton when she was either under investigation or supposedly under investigation by the FBI last year. So yes, Reince Priebus said it was disqualifying. Marco Rubio thought it was Cast a cloud on the presidency. Donald Trump himself railed about it dozens of times. But now the shoe is on, on the other foot and it's all just fine. Uh, and, and, you know, again, we don't know what happened, but we do know that a lot of Democrats that we trust who have seen um, the raw evidence uh, are very concerned about this. This is not a situation where, you know, a group of uh, Bush administration associates or stove piping evidence, uh, you know, to make the case Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction and that we should go to war with Iraq. This is a case where, you know, a, a pretty diverse bipartisan group of Congress people are being briefed on this by, by various intelligence community directors and they're coming away, you know, they're coming away aghast. So, you know, we have friends on the left who are suggesting that Oh, now it's liberals and people on the left and people, you know, who hate uh, Trump and Putin who are being total stooges for the intelligence committee. But I don't think that's true at all. I think that the people who are asking these questions, many of them, have a whole lot of integrity. You know, Ron Wyden has been around a lot. Even Diane Feinstein, who is sometimes too protective of the intelligence agencies, she went to the to war with the CIA to get that. Uh, Torture report uh, declassified, and you know, I, I just think it, it's something we need an investigation of. And anybody who says otherwise, I, I don't understand what, I don't understand what they're talking about. I
0: want to go back to this Devin Nunes business? You use the term "stovepiping" referring to the Bush administration. Let me just go back a step and explain what we're talking about here. Dick Cheney would leak information to the New York Times. They would print it saying there's evidence that uh, Saddam has weapons of mass destruction. And then Dick Cheney would, the next day, hold a press conference where he would say the New York Times has reported this. That's right. what it seems like Devin Nunes was trying to do. He went to the White House the night before. Someone at the, on the White House grounds gave him these documents. And then the next day, he held a press conference as if he uh, had not already received the information from the White House. And this is from the guy who, as you said, is supposed to be running the House Intelligence Committee investigating the Russian interference in the election. That that investigation, at least at this point, Tuesday, seems to have come to a stop after this wild series of events. And what Devin Nunes has been trying to do, apparently— is come up with something that supports this nutty claim that Donald Trump made, what, 10 days ago now, that, that President Obama had, quote, tap, wiretapped his phones at, at uh, Trump Tower. Devin Nunes is, is taking us in this, let's call it the wrong direction, and now there are no hearings scheduled. Uh, right. Now what?
3: I have no idea. I mean, I I really think that it's time for, uh, you know, the Senate investigation, the Senate intelligence investigation, I believe, begins early next week. And they're now going to call uh, Jared Kushner because he apparently had meetings during the transition with the uh, former intelligence agent who is now a higher up in a big, perhaps corrupt Russian bank. They're starting. I believe they're starting with him. I would love for them to start with Sally Yates, the the former Justice Department deputy attorney general, acting attorney general for a little while before Trump fired her, uh, who was ready to testify in public before the Nunes committee. And, and that's what he that's one of the the meetings he canceled. Then there was some controversy. There was a Washington Post story that said the administration was trying to block her testimony in that crazy Sean Spicer press conference you referred to. He said they were not. Something clearly weird went on there. Um, and I think it's time for the Senate Investigative Intelligence Committee to show that it's capable of a bipartisan, independent, and, you know, really rigorous investigation. Otherwise, this has to go to an independent uh, commission, and it, it probably has to go there anyway.
0: The Jared Kushner reports that we have seen are not about collusion with Putin during the campaign. My understanding is these meetings that Jared Kushner had with uh, Russians were held after Trump was elected. Now there's talk, uh, there's one about his relationship to a, a bank known for money laundering. So this is a different issue. It's not about collusion. This is about financial corruption that links the Kushner family and by implication the Trump White House to the Putin regime known for its uh, financial corruption. And that's a very important uh, area to investigate as well.
3: Well, yeah, you know, there's a there's a theory out there and it's not crazy. Smart people subscribe to it that this FBI investigation into the Russians did not begin with a look into their undermining or hacking of Hillary Clinton uh, and Democratic campaign organizations, but that it it really originated in their examination of the Russian mob and and. Perhaps Trump's ties to the Russian mob. There, there's there are a couple guys under heavy investigation, uh, Russians who live in Trump Tower. Um, you know, Trump seems to be maybe it's just coincidence, kind of at the nexus of a lot of shady Russian uh, oligarchic mob sorts of figures. Then there's Paul Manafort, who you know has his own corruption. Then there's then there's Jared Kushner. There's you know one of the reasons people think. Trump did not release his tax returns is that it would show uh, involvement in Russian banks and God knows what else. There are some people who think that Comey is more concerned or is concerned that he not jeopardize the longer running investigation into these Russian oligarchs. Um, But but of course, uh, sabotaging our election is also important. So Trump's role here predates his running for president. Um, it postdates his running for president. And the question is, how many people are going to be brought down in this, in this investigation? But Comey's going to tread really carefully and probably really slowly because of all these, because he wants to get the goods on an awful lot of people.
0: Putin, of course, is a, a corrupt tyrant who's an enemy of democracy. Isn't that really the subtext of all of this discussion of Trump's ties with Putin?
3: You know, I I really think it is. I mean, the baseline that we know is that he set out to mess with our with our institutions, mess with the election. And whether you could find that it, it was definitive in electing Trump and hurting Clinton or not, the end result is. Our democracy is much less stable. We have a president who is in a crisis of legitimacy. And, you know, I'm not the only one saying that. And so Putin has succeeded. Whether in electing Trump or not, by making all of us—and you know—I think probably right and left, even Trump supporters, distrust our democracy, distrust our institutions. Um, oh, it seems so partisan. It, Democrats think there was hacking. Republicans say no, it doesn't quite line up that way. But you know, I think everyone is questioning whether our institutions are strong enough to withstand that. Some of us think, you know, this is why there's there's a lot of spine behind. Finding out the answers. You know, the town halls that erupted, they were not just about the Affordable Care Act. They were also about concerns about Russian spying, Russian hacking. So people are out there who want want the answers. We just have to figure out a way to channel them.
0: Joan Walsh, read her at the nation.com. Joan it's always great to have you on the show.
3: Likewise, John.
0: Now it's time for Ivanka Watch. And for that, we turn once again to Amy Willens. She's a frequent guest here and a longtime contributing editor at The Nation. She's also the former Jerusalem correspondent for The New Yorker. She's written for The New York Times, The Washington Post, Politico, and lots more. She won the National Book Critics Circle Award for her most recent book about Haiti. It's called Farewell, Fred Voodoo. She also teaches in the literary journalism program at UC Irvine. Amy, welcome back. Thanks, John. The big news in Ivanka world this week is that she's been given an office in the White House and a security clearance so she can see classified information. Nevertheless, she will not be paid a salary. According to Bill Maher, that's because she's a woman. <laughs> what uh, What's your take on, on the office and the security clearance?
4: Well, I'm laughing too much at Bill Maher. Listen, she's not a federal employee. Uh, I'm not sure what her role is, what her job is as an advisor to her dad. She's sitting there, but that has not been clarified. Why she needs access to top secret classified information, we don't know yet since we don't know what job she's doing. So that's confusing. We do know that she has been sitting in on uh, important meetings with the president over the past few months. and. Maybe if she had a clearer role, that would make that less odd and sort of offensive, just bringing in your family. So I was really concerned about Ivanka and her top security clearance. And I'm not always perfect at Google, so I Googled Ivanka and clearance. And the first thing I got was the faux fur trim buckled coat originally $325. Now it was going down to one hundred fifty-nine ninety-nine. Then it was going down to 149 14, dollars And now you could take 15% off that if you ordered right away in this clearance sale. <laughs> <laughs> and there were many items like that before you got to security clearance. Thank you. <laughs> but the thing is, she's not the first person uh, who's not been elected or appointed to have this kind of clearance. In fact, in my researches, I discovered that one of my favorite first ladies, one of the most curious first ladies, intellectually, Jackie Kennedy, also had access to this kind of information. In fact, anyone that the president wants to give classified information to, he is entitled to do it. It is entirely at his discretion. And the first lady normally does have access to this kind of information. I just want to point out that although Donald may feel he's married to Ivanka, she's not the First Lady. Um, I don't know if... if,
0: Bill Maher Maher calls Ivanka his (laughs) daughter-wife.
4: That's lovely. Well, the daughter-wife has the office on the West Wing. The wife-wife has the office in the East Wing. And she, I don't believe, has shown any interest in top-secret classified material.
0: You asked what is Ivanka's job. It seems like her job is keeping her father calm and less crazy. And when she's away or when she's offline, things can get very bad for the president. For example, just last week, she and Jared Kushner, her husband, took their kids skiing in Aspen. That was of course the week the House was voting on repealing and replacing Obamacare, and and look what happened.
4: Look what happened. They lost <laughs> they lost in the Congress, but I would not ascribe that to Ivanka's uh, disappearance from the scene. she I guess she decided that it would be more fun to be in one of the world's and the country's top, most luxurious skiing venues than to be in kind of sultry, horrible washington d c
0: Well, the media uh, did report that uh, he was mad at her for for leaving town. For leaving him alone with the Republicans, presumably when when he needed her.
4: I think he might have been mad at her for leaving and going on a ski junket while uh, the rest of America was about to lose its health care. But I have a theory about this. What? My theory is that a lot of Trump voters and a lot of Americans in general like to read the supermarket tabs, they like to read people, they like entertainment media, and Ivanka's a sideshow. And so when you're doing your health care bill that's going to kick actual Trump voters out of their wheelchairs and stop them from getting their opioid medication and, you know, stop them from getting their cancer treatment and their elder care treatment, it's good to have the beautiful Princess Regent skiing down the ski slopes in beautiful clothing with her beautiful children because, oddly, aspirational America loves this kind of information. And so they're watching that while in Washington their fates are being decided.
0: Yeah, this ski trip that Ivanka took with her kids and her husband was not confidential, not secret. We, the pictures were, were everywhere.
4: Highly, highly photographed, very much tweeted. Uh, as I said, all the clothing was great. Eric Trump was there with his wife Lara who I've been forced to find out is called Lara and uh, she's a supermodel she's a supermodel I'll just check it. <clears throat> these are models this is what we do we marry models in the Trump family or we breed models <laughs> in the case of Donald
0: well and Ivanka herself had been a, a teen model
4: yeah she's a teen model with top security clearance <laughs> now there were two extra participants in the family jaunt and that was Beagle number one and Beagle number two I believe they're Eric Trump's Dogs, and they also were wearing their nice little coats. Oh. And I wonder if they also get Secret Service protection. But anyway, what I read from an unreliable source on the internet, <laughs> the Daily Mail, uh, was that there were up to a hundred Secret Service personnel on this trip, oh. and that that could cost an awful lot of money. I wouldn't even estimate what that might cost, but that they also spend because. They don't all ski at Aspen, the Secret Service. They also spent like $12,000 at a local uh, ski place getting skis and ski equipment, renting stuff so that they could follow the Princess Regent around.
0: Now, Ivanka does have her issue, which is paid maternity leave. How how are things going on that front?
4: Well, I haven't heard much about it. Have you, Joan? Nothing. Nothing at all. But uh, she first has to get her office decorated. Can you imagine the fights that are going on in the White House over which office Ivanka gets? She probably gets a corner office with windows in a place where real estate is really at a premium and everybody wants your office. There's more news about
0: Ivanka's husband, Jared Kushner. Uh, He has agreed to testify before the Senate Intelligence Committee about his meetings with Russians not just the one we already knew about with the Russian ambassador, but another one involving bankers from a Russian bank that's under American sanctions. Apparently, this was not about Russian interference with the election campaign, but about raising money from Russian banks to finance what? What do we know about this? Well,
4: there's a long theory. So the long theory, which is a conspiracy theory, unproven, me analyzing from everybody talking, is that the Original meetings with the Russians were about the campaign, the Democrats, what the Russians were doing. If you take that, if you believe that, there might have been a little give and take. One of the give and takes might have been that this bank would be relieved of the sanctions imposed on it by the Obama administration because of uh, Russia's behavior in Crimea and in the Ukraine. That's why we imposed the sanctions. So part of the give and take might have been Yeah. So you give us some info on the campaign. We'll lift your sanctions. Oh, and we'd like to help you, Mr. Kushner, in financing that building downtown in Manhattan. So that's the theory of it. I don't know if that's true, but there is this other meeting with this bank that was sanctioned and that Kushner did not go to the meeting because he's not stupid, but he sent an emissary, somebody who works with him.
0: In in this case, we're not talking about corrupt Russian money for a Trump property, but for the separate financial empire of the Kushner family.
4: You cannot call it a separate financial empire Oops. because Ivanka is married to it. Oops. Therefore, if it, some of the profits of it don't go to her in his will, at least they'll go to their children. So she's deeply enmeshed. It is effectively part the Kushner Enterprises although I'm sure Jared's parents would not like to hear this is effectively part of the Trump empire right now.
0: You said that while Ivanka has prominently moved into her office in the west wing the actual first lady Melania remains uh, living in Trump Tower and is not moving into the White House, at least not at, at this point, it's living separately from her husband, the president. The Washington Post just did a big piece on how she's barely seen in public, and she has made only a few appearances in, in public. I believe you've been monitoring these for us.
4: Yeah, one of the greats, which I think many people have seen on uh, the Internet, was when she visited a hospital, a children's pediatric ward at a hospital in New York, and read to them from the famous Dr. Seuss classic, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Her audience didn't really look like it was going anywhere. A lot of them were clearly in chemo or radiation therapy. Um, They were all very obedient and sweet, sitting in their little chairs. And she sat at a chair in front of them with her stiletto heels and her giant diamond And reading from the book, and she forgot the essential, and all you mothers out there will know this, the essential thing teachers do when they read from an illustrated book for children with illustrations by, say, someone as funny as Dr. Seuss, you read the sentence, then you turn the book around to the audience of little (laughs) tiny children, and you show them the funny pictures. She forgot that part. Also, I, I don't mean to belittle people who have an accent, like my accent when I go to France is really lamentable. But she has an accent, and it's a heavy accent, and I'm not sure the kids could understand even what she was saying.
0: My favorite part of this story is the sentence that she read to them that got into the news was, you'll be as famous as famous can be with the whole wide world watching you win on TV.
4: (laughs) That was for her husband. (laughs) Was he there?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Melania did do one other thing that made the news. She hosted a White House luncheon, In honor of International Women's Day, what did the news reports tell us about what happened there?
4: She came up to the podium and she said, I'd like to welcome. And then all the news media were ushered out and we have no idea what happened. (laughs) But one of the things that's said about Melania and her failure to appear, and I think it's interesting in terms of uh, the president's personality, is that he's his one-man show. It's not like other uh, presidents who have a beautiful wife or a smart wife and want to show her off or put her forward. It's, like he ha- it's not that he, we don't know, but it doesn't seem like he doesn't like her. Or he's just not interested in anything that isn't him. And she's one of the things that isn't him, except for maybe Ivanka. He might be interested in her.
0: So Melania Trump doesn't want to be the first lady. She doesn't want to live in the White House. Turns out she's not the first best Truman pretty much refused to live in the White House and instead stayed mostly in Independence, Missouri. So Melania is following in the footsteps of Bess Truman.
4: I think that's a a proud tradition. Why shouldn't she? And really, frankly, do we need her? And just to follow that up with a slightly bigger idea, do we need an important first lady, the wife of? I'm not sure we do.
0: Amy Willens, she wrote a cover story for The Nation about Ivanka. You can read it at thenation.com. Thank you, Amy.
4: Thanks, John.
0: Finally, a word about this week's edition of Dave Zirin's Edge of Sports podcast. On Dave's new show, he asks the question, does Colin Kaepernick not have an NFL job because of Donald Trump? Also, Dave talks about the U.S. women's hockey strike, where the issues are decent wages and benefits and an end to the petty disrespect like flying the men's team in business class while the women ride coach. These seem like reasonable demands, but U.S. hockey has opted to hire scabs and field a so called replacement team for the world championships. That effort is failing spectacularly. The Edge of Sports podcast is where sports and politics collide. Tune in every Tuesday. At thenation.com/edgeofsports. Start making sense. The Nation podcast is co-produced by the LA Review of Books and recorded at the studios of Emerson College, Los Angeles, by Ernesto Orellano, with additional technical assistance from Justin Allen. Alan Minsky is our senior producer, Frank Reynolds is our executive producer, Annie Shields is our engagement editor, Katrina Vandenhoevel is editor and publisher of The Nation. Our theme music is from Barcelona Afrobeat, licensed by Creative Commons. Find out more about Start Making Sense at thenation.com and subscribe to Start Making Sense wherever you get your podcasts at SoundCloud, Stitcher or iTunes. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening.